0: This is the Deep Color podcast series. Deep Color is an oral history project where I talk with artists about their work and their lives. The ultimate goal here is to give listeners a better understanding about the experiences and people behind the artwork. My name is Joseph Hart. I produce and facilitate this series. These recordings are casual, straight on, and unscripted. This episode profiles Maya Ruth Lee. Maya is a multidisciplinary artist that makes paintings, sculpture and installations, jewelry and video pieces. Her ink on raw canvas paintings often depict decorative designs that have been sourced from vintage clip art books. Her most recent body of work includes pieces of wrought iron gate that have been welded together to resemble glyphs, tools, or weapons. She also recently made a video featuring her father working as a missionary in the Himalayas, and a series of sculptures made from rope, plastic, and blankets that she refers to as bondage luggage. Alongside making art, Maya is the director of Wide Rainbow, which is an arts nonprofit that organizes collaborative workshops between public schools and contemporary artists. We recorded this conversation in her studio in the Gowanus section of Brooklyn. Yeah. And from the little bit of research that I've done about you, yeah. it seems like camping and being outdoors mm-hmm. and trekking mm-hmm. ha, um, has been an important part of your life sure yeah yeah, mm -hmm, totally um can you talk about like the beginnings of that or where like i know in your youth you were you were backpacking around with your family maybe that's an interesting spot to start
1: yeah um actually uh we so i grew up in nepal okay so i grew up in nepal from when i was uh five years old Mm -hmm. until i went to college so all of my childhood was spent in Kathmandu. wow um so i'd like to say we backpacked we actually were just, just oh you're we, just there yeah we okay. were just there. <laughs> but we did a lot of trekking oh, okay yeah, well, well we maybe
0: for um someone unfamiliar with the language what it, can you define trekking for me
1: so trekking is pretty much like hiking okay but a more extensive more rigorous type okay. of of hiking okay so trekking usually lasts for, uh usually around a week okay plus so uh, i grew up trekking in the himalayas um nepal is known to have you know one of the most beautiful mountains and mountain regions in the world and the highest mountain everest and so uh, that was just pretty much the landscape that i grew up in Mm -hmm. um my parents are bible translators oh right they uh are missionaries and so i grew up with extremely religious parents and uh because of their profession we moved to Nepal they um, translate they the project that they uh, were in charge of was to try uh, to translate the Bible into Sherpa oh, okay which is one of the languages in Nepal um, Sherpa is also the name of the tribe and most of the people most sherpas have the last name Sherpa mm-hmm. so uh, you know, in Nepal, there are over 100 different languages. They're all completely different from each other. They wow. have a different alphabet system. So when we moved to Nepal...
0: Where did you move from, by the from way? From Korea. Oh, okay. My parents are Korean. Okay.
1: Um, and that's where I was born. Sure. Uh, and so they were in charge of translating the Bible to Sherpa. The only thing is that the Sherpa language does not, did not at the time have an alphabet system. It was just an oral language. Um, so the, for the first decade, my parents were in charge of creating this alphabet. Right. Uh, so, you know, I, they're technically linguists as well. So they, I was k- sort of brought up in this very religious linguistic environment. Um, and hiking or trekking was a big part of it because in order for them to survey, to do surveys and uh, document the language, we had to be in the region so, right. sherpas,
0: so So you're getting from play from a to b to b to c exactly right.
1: and sherpas live in the himalayas mm-hmm. they live in the mountains right so sometimes we'd be in the mountains for like three months wow at a time
0: wow so this is sort of and you know i've been thinking about your, sh- your show that you just opened up in the the bondage luggage mm-hmm. um and trying to like make a bridge into like a, a, a young Maya mm-hmm. trekking and like what luggage she has with her yeah. on these trips, um, and I and like I was ref- just reflecting also on my own camping and mm-hmm. hiking experience, and like what those essential things that I want to bring or I like I feel like I need to bring. Sure. Does anything come to mind? Like what when when you go whether it's now um, camping or trekking? Like what are the important things the to bring essentials. along with you? Yeah.
1: Well, I think. The first thing I try to do is carry the least possible. Yeah, simplify. Simplify. Really take the o- like really the essentials because mm-hmm. you need to carry them. Mm-hmm. In Nepal, it's a little bit different because the trekking system there. There are people who are called porters, uh, and they transport your luggage. Um, so a lot of the times, you're carrying your day pack. It's right. called. And, you know, in the day pack is just like your water ball and snacks and, you know, m- medical supplies or mm-hmm. whatever it is you need. Um, but really, when you're going trekking, it's just, you know, really just that. just medical supplies, your sleeping bag, uh
0: Good pair of socks.
1: Good pair of socks. uh, Waterproof layer. Waterproof layer, Mm -hmm. a hat, sunscreen. It's pretty much the same thing. Headlamp is essential because sometimes uh, the sun sets earlier. Mm -hmm. And especially when you're in like a valley, Mm -hmm. the sun sets and then it gets dark early. That can get very dangerous. Mm -hmm. Um, And yeah, like my dad used to carry around those... uh, pocket knives oh yeah things yeah. and those are all They yeah, were, was gonna those, ask if there's like a knife or something. yeah those were always yeah, yeah. really uh useful yeah. to like m- you know kind of carve a walking stick sure. or you know open a can or whatever yeah. it was I think
0: I have one of those like multi-tools yeah, it's like exactly. pliers and knife it's exactly all, you know it kind of folds up yeah it's heavy
1: yeah my dad always yeah. had like it was a Swiss Swiss knife yeah and that was like a really like an object I had seen my entire childhood yeah
0: cool yeah. Um and then like I don't know. Do you still get out? I mean I know you're you've got a 1-year-old. Yes. Have you been camping? Uh no, not as yet. A parent? No?
1: Not yet. But we have been hiking. Yeah. Uh my husband is from Colorado Springs. Oh, okay. And so he grew up in what I would call the Nepal of America. <laughs> yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. And I think that's what we what drew us together yeah. in the first place. And yeah, so we took Nima, my 1-year-old son to uh, Colorado Springs cool. recently in the summertime and put him in a backpack got to be outdoors got to be outdoors and he see loved some,
0: it. see some some cool mountain ranges yeah, the or, Rockies. Just, or
1: just space yeah. you know and just just feel the sun and mm-hmm. I think he really liked it I think he he got the gist yeah 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 I, I think
0: <laughs> little kids even that young and even younger they're they're very um perceptive very very early on yes. like sort of are very aware I think yes. a lot of people underestimate absolutely how aware they are of their surroundings and what they're seeing and in their intake and totally. in yeah i mean i think it's great to show them stuff like that mm-hmm. even at a young age what about you know one of the things i think about when i'm in a more rural place outdoors is like the the sort of i mean i just sort of did like the, you kind of take a deep breath like ah mm-hmm. like the pressure's a little lower exactly. the noise is obviously a little lower the aesthetic of it is arguably more relaxing mm-hmm. um but then you come home, we come home, we come back to the city and then exactly. we're dealing with those feelings. Yeah. Do you have that sort of reaction too? like, like the sort of reentry issue from these when whenever you're camping or, or yeah, you know, yeah. I know you're not doing it that much right now, but.
1: Yeah, totally. I mean, I, that's when you notice or you realize that. Cities are very stressful. <laughs> yeah. When you are in it, you don't really think about it yeah. because you are just living your life. Yeah, it sort of normalizes. It's just yeah, it just yeah. normalizes. And when you re-enter into that environment, you are just like, oh man, like I am so tense. Mm-hmm. It's just a different type of breathing yeah. or a different pace, yeah. and you are you realize that your body is like operating on a very different level. Yeah, like an abnormal level. Yeah, especially New York. Yeah, <laughs> it's
0: very true. Yeah. yeah, the the city rhythm is a strange one. Yeah, and when I think I'm still like never really gotten a grasp on, I feel like like there's there'll be months like oh I've figured this place out and I've lived here almost twenty years and then next like no man yeah y- you have no clue what you're doing <laughs> still yeah it's a it's weird exactly um let's pivot into art okay I, um I I've read in past interviews that you identify yourself as a multidisciplinary artist. Is this accurate? Yeah, sure. Yeah? I've
1: said that uh, about my practice before yeah. only because I feel like I can't really categorize what I really do.
0: I mean it's a hard thing to do. Yeah. Artists don't like binary terms. Right, yeah.
1: right. And um, you know, I feel like sometimes I'm very um envious of artists who are like, I'm a painter. I'm like, oh that's so you know, it's so definitive. Right. <laughs> right. But I don't I don't really have I don't really have that. And but I do also really thrive, uh, you know, in doing all, a lot of different types of things. Right. More for myself because I easily get tired of just doing one type of thing. Um, but that's why I'm envious of other people who who are who can just stay on one path. Yeah,
0: yeah. I mean, I <laughs> I agree. I, you know, I I I've said this before, but I make two-dimensional work drawings and yeah. paintings but i make them a few different ways yeah. and that's like sort of my way to keep yeah. it fresh yeah and to keep yeah. learning exactly. um you know I, i'm not one of these guys that makes the same thing over and over again and yeah. it sounds like you might have something like that in your practice too where you have these a handful of different approaches the object totally. is different maybe mm-hmm. there's a through line with the idea in there yeah. but uh,
1: i just see yeah. it as uh, different outlets mm-hmm. um i I tried i think I have sort of a singular or not a singular but uh one general sort of s- scope of what i what i do right. but um yeah, it comes out in different ways so i I've made paintings I've done sculptures installations i've made jewelry right. i do i publish books uh photography mm-hmm. um so, yeah, it's it's sort of, it's all over the place, but at the same time, in my mind, it all feels like it's the same thing. No, of course, <laughs> and I think that's the, yeah. yeah
0: What's inside all of us, I think they're yeah. working in a few different ways, it's like all connected. Yeah. Um. You know, when I have a chance to talk to s- s- an artist that works a bunch of different ways, I'm always curious to find out what the criteria is that um, sort of dictates what way they choose to work. Like, mm-hmm. do you have an idea and then it's figuring out which materials to use to sort of underscore that idea totally. or is it something else? How does th- it work?
1: I think that's how it works for me. I, I usually come up with an idea first. And it's a lot of the times uh, it's about problem solving. Mm-hmm. Like what do I need to do in order to make this? And so, uh, you know, if and I I tend to be drawn to things that I don't know mm-hmm. how to make. <laughs> oh, interesting. Um, and because learning becomes a part of the process and for me that's uh it's exciting yeah to be able to learn a new craft or a new medium by making something that I have sort of already you know envisioned in my mind yeah
0: well well said um yeah playing with things that we're unfamiliar with exactly I mean it's this whole thing I was just talking to someone else recently about like Professionals and like mm-hmm. when professionals get really good at their thing, yeah, they start to tighten up at a kind of over time, mm-hmm. and then this expectation totally from the right. outside comes in, and that yeah. sort of adds another layer of pressure. I think it's but it sounds al- like you're avoiding that.
1: Yeah, well, I think it's also personality trait. Yeah, you know, I think I'm just not that type of personality where I I'm not a perfectionist. Sometimes I wish I was, <laughs> uh, but I really. Am not, and uh, that makes or that gives me room to experiment. Yeah. So I really do think that some types of personality they really like to go in mm-hmm. all in, and really perfect this one type of thing. Right. Um. I'm more like let's just try this, and then oh, actually, this is a better method. Let's just try this, and I will try it until something works. Right. And I think that's why, or I see it as like production almost. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's why I think I see it as problem solving.
0: Yeah, that's well said. Um, Well, there's this painting Mm -hmm. which I know is one aspect of your practice that's that's right in front of us. And before we turn the uh, we hit record on the on the thing there, um, Mm -hmm. you were telling me that this this is in progress. You're trying to resolve it. Yes. And um, maybe I'll describe it real quick. Okay. Uh, It's. I don't know, four foot by three foot or so, mm-hmm. um, vertical rectangle, and it's got ink drawing straight onto raw canvas. And the imagery, as you told me, is from uh, a clip art book. Yes, and it looks like wood grain joint pieces or something that like one could build like a a wagon out of or something. Totally. But but they're all in The economy of how they're arranged is. Yes is sort of like um based on efficiency like these sort of puzzle puzzle piece together exactly um but it reads like from a distance it reads like a pattern Mm -hmm. um one might even be able to like pull i mean maybe this is a reach but like morse code or something based on those little dots i mean Mm -hmm. i'm just thinking about language because i know language we're talking about language in your your family Mm -hmm. um and linguistics Mm -hmm. but um I don't know. Is there are there ideas that you're comfortable sharing that that um, are in this work that that uh, are worth talking sure. about?
1: I mean, this this painting in particular is a part of a series that I had completed about two years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, sort of by chance, I I found these books, these clip art yeah and
0: um yeah you showed me one yeah right, here.
1: right. and the, f- the first thing that drew me in um i'm very attracted to graphics in general but what drew me in the most was the arrangement of the clip art yeah and there's something extremely satisfying about it i think because they're arranged so neatly and so um uh sort of just Kind of very creatively, too, I yeah. think.
0: Yeah, there's an efficiency to it.
1: There's an efficiency. Um, you know, they're saving space on the page. Ooh, you know, the artist who originally made this. And mm-hmm. the I- idea of a clip art is, is always intriguing for me because this is pre-internet, pre-Photoshop, when mm-hmm. things were really done by hand. Mm-hmm. Um, so these clip arts were actually very much used. And to, you know, communicate, some type of thing, um, an invitation, or whether it be a newsletter or a poster, or so it was used in some type of method of communication, which yeah. I really uh, like as well. And
0: a way to like make something more visually interesting, exactly. Right, like these, yeah. are, these are embellishments usually exactly. in the design world. Like these exactly. sort of, it's a lot of borders. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very graphic, like you said, black and white, crisp, mm-hmm. hard edge.
1: Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I just like the idea of where this came from, but really what drew me in was the composition. Um, And in some ways, maybe not this one in particular, but some of them, they almost look like a bird's eye view of sort of like a a physical layout as well, Mm -hmm. of like a garden or- You're a maze. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, So that really, I think that that drew me in as well, kind of reminded me of like architectural or like actual spaces, Mm -hmm. physical spaces too. Um. So, yeah, that's kind of how it started. And the reason why I didn't change anything about it and decided to just blow it up and paint it was I just, you know, some of these works, I, I really don't see the difference between a page in this clip art book and a $5 million painting mm-hmm. in a gallery space. Yeah, 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 You know, if anything, I actually like this better. So I think by... You know, kind of putting you know bringing this back into sort of more of an art form because you know in the hierarchy of art, which there is a very obvious hierarchy yeah. um clip arts are just not let's not it, it's not even a part of a system, you know, and I just think it's you know yeah really just yeah, it's fantastic. kind of this like
0: laughed at kind of gimmicky thing totally, or something and yeah um yeah i mean i I worked at a at a magazine for a number of years and yes. clip art was used quite a bit but it was always mm-hmm. like this last resort or totally, something like that yeah. so this this is an interesting idea like putting it oh. like giving it some more importance maybe yeah. recontextualizing it exactly making it larger exactly um,
1: i mean i'm kind of using like yeah. the art method of like putting it on a canvas <laughs> painting it yeah. by hand yeah. you know so all of those things are sort of on purpose to sort of add to that like I'm putting more meaning into and bringing it back into the art context mm-hmm. I guess um,
0: another layer would be even just the labor sure, of, exactly. of, of reinterpreting it at a larger size by hand because a lot of these are you know I don't know maybe they were made by hand at the beginning but they do have an art hard edge and they they feel like they've been mass produced on a printer or something exactly. like that exactly um, yeah and then um you know, there's this one down in the corner too, which feels more like a scroll. Is yes. that a work in progress too?
1: Um, actually, no. That's a, a finished piece okay. that uh, that was completed a long time ago. Those are actually uh, band aids.
0: Oh yeah, the shape of a band I see yeah. them all. Yeah,
1: and all the band aids were actually are originally black. So. For a while, I was obsessed with band-aids. I have a whole box in my studio that mm-hmm. has been untouched when I started collecting them. <laughs> um, I might go back to it someday, but uh, I found a couple of really cool-looking band-aids at Dwayne Reed, mm-hmm. and I started. I just went online and like searched for all types of band-aids, different colors, different textures. I really was drawn into uh, drawn to fabric band-aids, mm-hmm. but really also quickly realized that these band-aid shapes are made. For specific parts of your body, yeah. So for joints, for your fingers, for your elbow, for you know your heel, whatever that may be, I I, it made me wonder about like the female female body when Mm -hmm. I was looking at these like really also graphic elements. Yeah. um, That by itself, they look like dots and lines and stars. Yeah, like a code or something like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So again, kind of finding this sort of like I guess language again. and simplifying it into just one color. Yeah. But it's, it's interesting, too, because Band-Aids, you know, the sticky part is made out of fish bladder. I don't know if you
0: Oh, no, I didn't know that. Um, That's so, not vegan-friendly. No, it's not <laughs> vegan-friendly. I mean, I'm sure they now have right.
1: vegan-friendly Band-Aids, but most Band-Aids are, are made that way. Yeah. So I had to figure out a way to, you know, I, f- I found this adhesive that you iron on to the Band-Aid, to the canvas to make it more archival. Right. Um, so that was, you know, another, like, kind of, I guess, problem solving. I'll right. uh, maybe, process. like,
0: 12 feet away from the piece we're talking about. Mm-hmm. But those are the actual band-aids those that have been ac- painted and then adhered to the canvas. Uh,
1: no, they are the actual band-aids. Oh, so they
0: come in that color. Yep. Oh, it's like a matte black.
1: Yep. It's a matte black. And uh, I had. You know, it's it, it, it comes in one of those sets of like four different colors. Yeah. So I had to buy a bunch of boxes yeah. and just take the black ones Yeah. Out. <laughs> I mean, there's a whole
0: other layer too when you think about uh, the hue of skin and skin color oh, and stuff, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. I think it's kind of a interesting thing on the on the Band-Aid industry to like start absolutely making like bright pink and right. Just sort or, of like you know or, what? We're not even like we're not going to get into this sort of like slippery slope of matching skin tones, which exactly. is exactly. Like, very problematic. Oh, probably. and you would yeah. be
1: surprised. There's like really only light skin tones. Yeah, <laughs> it's like, yeah, yeah.
0: Um, yeah, that's a strong one.
1: So yeah, that was a. So I made it into a form mm-hmm. of a scroll. It makes purpose. me, you know,
0: i here, here I am asking you about the ideas behind the work, and mm-hmm. you know, you're very generous in sharing that. But um, some artists I've talked to like really believe in this idea of mystery, and like how mystery is important in the work, and they mm-hmm. don't. You know, there's this sort of toggle between what should remain private and what should yeah. be public do you have any feelings on that i, I mean are you sort uh, of like open to share
1: i'm extremely open to share yeah. i'm not really a mystery person no um if someone asks me a question i will give them an answer yeah I, t- <laughs> I
0: tend to be the same way
1: i just i just think that's that's just you know information sharing is so vital yeah In in, i mean that's what sort of like is the most essential thing about humans and you know for me anyway so um when I know something I will I'm so happy to to share that with anyone. I agree (laughs) I agree
0: you know like one of the I I think that one of the main functions of art is to share knowledge exactly And share an idea exactly and if you are feeling protective of your ideas I mean I I respect that like I know I have people in my life and some days I'm I'm that guy too like you know what sure I'm not, I'm still trying to figure out what the idea is in this. And I'm not ready to talk about it. Totally. Um, But I do believe that articulating our ideas in this context or in this way um, is a healthy thing.
1: Totally, and it personally helps me think about my work too because, you know, when you're just in your head, sometimes it's just a jumble. Yeah. But when you're able to articulate it and, and communicate that with someone, sometimes, a lot of the times, I figure out my own work while I'm talking about it.
0: Yeah, me too. Mm-hmm. Um, that's sort of like a good lead into studio visits. Mm-hmm. We're sitting in your studio here. Mm-hmm. I want to describe it real quick for listeners. So, um, it's a windowless studio mm-hmm. um, We're um, above, uh, if I remember correctly, like uh, a f- like a, a floor manufacturing yeah lumber liquidators lumber lumber liquidators type place, yeah. and then. Um, You've right. got these two paintings you're working on. It's sort of spare in here because you just opened a show and a lot of the work you've, you've made recently is there. Mm-hmm. And then on the back wall here, you have a lot of reference photos that I want to talk to you about mm-hmm. for the the bondage luggage sculptures that you made. Um, and then behind me is a, is a couple work tables with a computer and then a, a painting rack with, I don't know, a dozen paintings on them mm-hmm. and then some tools and stuff mm-hmm. over there. Yeah, um, Feels like an art studio. And when you're in here, what's a healthy day feel like? Or a positive day, I guess those are the sort of interchangeable words, like healthy and positive, studio days, because we all know that they're full of headaches too sometimes.
1: Yeah, I mean, to be honest, like studio days look very different to me now that I'm a mom. It's almost like a treat. Yeah. Uh, When I'm able to come to the studio, it's like, it's my lucky day. Yeah, right. (laughs) I never used to think that way
0: about coming to the studio. Yeah. We'll talk about parenthood, but... Yeah, Yeah, well, so
1: before having a baby, um, you know, coming to the studio, there was always like a mix of feelings of, I have to stay productive, I have to do this, I have to like finish the day and know that I completed something and that pressure was always there. Um, A good day would look like, you know, having sort of made some type of mark. Yeah. Whether that be in my notebook or you know by hand making a sculpture whatever it was but like having physically done something is always you know satisfying for mm-hmm. me um, but you know also some days i would just come in here just to think yeah and that's why that's why i would never give up a studio because it really helps me keep my sanity as not just an artist but just a person yeah. <laughs> just as a human being
0: yeah there's sacred spaces it's a
1: it's very sacred mm-hmm. and i you know and you said it's windowless. And at first I was sort of against that because I like to look outside, but I'm in like a little time capsule here. I mm-hmm. don't know what time of day it is. Uh, I am able to concentrate. I'm easily distracted. Yeah. You know, if I look at, at a really nice weather day, I just don't want to be inside. Mm-hmm. So it, it really helps me concentrate and I've made all of my work here. Mm-hmm. Um, but now that I have a uh, have a baby, uh, a good day would just be coming here, period.
0: Just having the time to Just having here. the time. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And c- even when I don't do anything, I feel great mm-hmm. being back here. Um, yeah.
0: When, um, you know, another thing connected to, to being in the studio, um, you know, the challenges that pop up mm-hmm. and the days where you're trying to get this idea out and it's just not working, Do you, is there anything in your sort of quiver of problem solving skills that you can go to, whether it's, you know, looking up something online to sort of like take your mind out of it or like, are are there like, do you have any sort of system to like resolve those issues? I'm always curious to hear from artists how they sort of like get get, get back on track or get on through it.
1: Right. Like get through a rut kind of thing. Something like that. Yeah. Um, Hmm. I think the best thing for me to do some is is to do something that has nothing to do with art. Uh, I I I would like to say I want to see art more often, but I actually don't. Huh. Um, Tell me about that. I I would I just I I'm not so much of a gallery goer. Okay. Uh, unless it's you know works I really want to see or right. you know f- works by friends and I right. really want to like go support them. Um. But that's not really how I process my own, my own work. Um, a lot of the times would just be, I don't know, I guess, uh, just spending time with my family. Mm -hmm. Um, but also, you know, friends. Yeah. Socializing. Socializing helps. And I'm not, uh. I don't like to socialize in big groups. I'm very I'm a very one-on-one type person. So that really helps and I have such a great community in New York and something that I, you know, it's it's just changed my life yeah. a lot and I have a, a huge just a great group of women that are supportive of each other and and you know, sometimes uh, ideas get resolved by just talking it through with someone. Yeah
0: yeah that's well said, yeah, when you are in here, and you're kind of humming along, yeah, and um you know you're 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 in it, you're engaged the uh, mm-hmm. the form is taking shape the mm-hmm. the edge of the, the the mark is nice and crisp, you know, you sort of yeah. talked about wanting to tighten tighten yeah. up some of the marks in there, yeah, um, I'm curious if if there's outside voices that come in like you know, one of the things I think about is like when i'm wor- making a pain like oh, I wonder what you know. Karen would think about this right here. Do, do you have people like that, like these voices, or maybe I maybe have a couple. Yeah. I have
1: a couple that I really, uh, I really, you know, uh, you know, definitely ask to, and that's my studio mate. That's the door to my studio. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, her name is Violet dennison She's an incredible sculptor, and she sort of has always been my like art anchor (laughs) sure (laughs) uh those are good to have yeah those are great to have and my husband as well Mm -hmm. so i would say her and my husband are the first two people i go to yeah when i get stuck or want to sort of you know figure something out Mm -hmm. and they've been yeah just incredible
0: it's funny i was like I, i threw out the example of what would Karen think? I don't, yeah, I don't even know anyone named Karen. Yeah, totally. <laughs> it's just funny how that name came to my head. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, the other thing I think about, you know, when we're, we're when we're like flowing in the studio and yeah. things are, you know, there's a rhythm taking place um, is like how our focus works Yeah. and, you know, it depends on the type of work that we make. Um, some people are like focused on the task at hand. Um, other types of artists are able to wander a little bit emotionally and, and like maybe they're thinking about something mm-hmm. completely different. I like this idea that art making or being creative or using our hands can is sort of an invitation to go somewhere else psychologically. Yeah. yeah. What do you think about while you're making your stuff?
1: Oh, uh, wow, I think about a lot of things. Yeah. Um, you know, I when I get lost in 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 art making it's 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 such a gratifying feeling yeah you know I think about you know people I think of places I've been to I think of conversations and oftentimes like some some of the works might remind me of some people you know or some situations Um, or sometimes you know I just like listen to a podcast Especially when I'm, you know, painting because it's, it's more of a rigorous process and, yeah. and time staking. So I'll just, you know, kind of tune out. Yeah. Sometimes.
0: Let someone else narrate your brain yeah. for you in a way. Yeah. yeah. It's nice having stories or yes. music. Or, I yes. Mean, these are all obvious things. Yeah. yeah. Um, maybe we could take, I mean, we talked a little bit about your early, your biography. Mm-hmm. Um, born in Korea, lived, spent most of your youth in Nepal. Yeah. Excuse me, Nepal. Mm-hmm. We could go back into that that area of your life. Do you remember the moment that you wanted to become an artist? Or maybe there's some early yeah. visual influences that come to mind?
1: Yeah. Um I think first of all, I think I'm I'm so grateful my parents went to Nepal in the first place. Yeah. My life would be very different if I grew up in Korea.
0: In um, what ways do you think?
1: Uh, I, in, in most ways, in the sense that Nepal is such a culturally rich, not that Korea isn't, but it's just such a different place. Mm -hmm. Nepal is such a culturally rich, uh, religious, ancient, um, you know, full of tradition, really ancient traditions and visually just completely enticing. It's Mm. colorful, it's textural, it's, uh, you know, just fantastical in in a lot of ways and growing up seeing that as being normal i think really you know sort of shaped me yeah into who i am now obviously um but um yeah i was i was always drawn to uh like buddhist art hindu art Against sort of like my, my parents' wishes. Yeah. <laughs> they were very strict and didn't want me to be influenced by these things. Um, there was a lot of, you know, uh, a lot of tension between me and my parents as, as I grew up, as you can imagine, because of this. And, uh, you know, but I was, that's where they put me. So yeah. that's what I saw growing <laughs> yeah, up yeah, and yeah. that's what I was drawn to. And, um, I, you know, it's, Nepal is full of crafts, full of art. And it's just everywhere. It's in the streets, uh, there are shrines everywhere. The, the temples, the temples are everywhere. People are dressed in colorful fabrics. Uh, you know, everything is color there. So I feel like that was a huge influence on me right. Whereas Seoul, where I would have grown up, otherwise, it's, you know technology, Right. Everything slick. Everything is refined. Everything is you know sort of tucked away, and mm-hmm. everything is sort of more, I guess, quote unquote, Western, right. Westernized. You yeah, know, yeah. Um, but Nepal was just just a, 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 an amazing playground for me to to just be in.
0: Yeah, I can't imagine. Um, did you study art formally? Did you? I did take uh, art classes at any point.
1: Well, art was just a part of our curriculum growing up um but the moment i guess i want i i didn't really have that uh, like ah i want to be an artist moment but i think it was more my dad actually suggested it to me and i thank him for that (laughs) he i was just lost in knowing what to do and my parents being very concerned about my education uh he knew that they wanted to send me back to korea for college right Um, But having grown up in Nepal, going back to Korea, having trouble with the language, having trouble, you know, not having grown up there, it's quite a challenge. So uh, they wanted sort of early on, wanted to sort of guide me towards that. So I had to sort of pick, you know, my, I guess, what I wanted to study at a very early age, around 12 Mm -hmm. or 13. And that's when my dad suggested, why don't you study art?
0: Huh. That's a great seed to be planted that young. Yes. I mean, uh, similarly like I was encouraged at a very young I was like the kid that drew all the time. Yeah. But that's nice yeah. that we have these figures totally. especially when we're young sort of absolutely encouraging us or like nudging us in those directions. Mm-hmm. Um and then, you know, maybe we could we could start wandering into another sort of wing of your life which is being an educator. Yes. Um you know I'm sort of always curious how people that are interested in teaching art are using art as a tool to um help other people learn something mm-hmm. where it comes from sort of like sort of here you i mean it makes sense to me like you're traveling and yeah um, getting uh, you know a taste for art at an early age um, but you're the director of a organization called Wide Rainbow, yes. Can you tell listeners that might not be familiar with what Wide Rainbow is, what it is?
1: So, Wide Rainbow is a nonprofit after-school contemporary art program, and uh, you know we work with some just incredible, incredible artists from New York mainly, and uh, help them host workshops throughout different organizations and community centers and sc- public schools. To host just workshops, just hands-on workshops. Yeah,
0: and you—you, you, am I wrong? Is it women artists? Yes. Yeah. we're Female-focused. Female-focused. Although focused.
1: we don't really like say that as a on the splash page right. or anything, we invite female artists to teach uh, girls.
0: Yeah. Um, what are some of the projects? I mean, I know, I know a few. I know you just did one recently in Queens around cooking. Yes. And food as art. Mm-hmm. Can you talk talk a little bit about that project?
1: uh so yeah we uh were actually sometimes so the way it works we sometimes reach out to artists that we already know or we are familiar with their work um and sometimes artists will reach out to us and say oh I have an idea for a workshop I'd love to do this so Lila Gohar she's a chef and artist I want to just call her an artist because she kind of makes like food as forms of art and uh wanted to do uh, well she's coming out with uh a cookbook for children yeah and she, she wanted to sort of engage with children and sort of like test out some of these new recipes but in specific uh, make these pasta form shapes yeah yeah. to just eat at the end of the class too and so we did a pasta work easy transport Easy transport, <laughs> yeah. And the kids, obviously, with eating at the very end of the workshop, yeah. everyone wants to be involved. Yeah. <laughs>
0: That's a good collision um, of
1: things. Yeah, so, you know, sometimes the workshops really range from just all types of different practices. It comes from different practices. So, Sculptor, we did this one incredible workshop with one of my favorite artists, uh, Sarah Brahman.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And uh, she had brought from her studio, plex like, the colorful plexiglass and scraps of wood. And... You know as you probably know her works are large sort of st- like almost now it's like almost interactive sculptures where yeah, you, you can get s- inside you of you them. can get inside yeah. of and to me it's it, it really speaks to me because I understand where that comes from like I feel like she's very inspired by childhood as well as mm-hmm. all of these like fantastical structures so the workshop was incredible we made many Sarah Brahmin sculptures yeah.
0: <laughs> that's great so you you reach out to to artists working in New York City yeah. You connect them with a school group or an organization yep. that mm-hmm. has an after-school program or something. Exactly. Um, and then that artist leads a workshop and shows them how to make stuff, maybe how they would make it in exactly. their own studio. Exactly. That's great.
1: So So usually we start with like a presentation. So mm-hmm. the artist sort of talks about you know their practice, what they make, and why they make it. And it's really interesting because a lot of the times artists are very nervous. Yeah. Because speaking to a group of like rambunctious, like middle school girls who have, who really don't care who they are. <laughs> right. can be very, you know, it can be kind of scary.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs>
1: um, and I think it, that's uh, a great challenge for them too and it, it really, uh, you know, it really humbles, the, it, it really humbles you because I, that's how I got to join the, the, um, the organization. I, I started, I, I met the founder by doing a workshop myself And I remember the first day being, like, really just nervous to, like, try and impress these girls. Yeah, yeah. It's (laughs) a tough crowd. It's a tough crowd. And you have to summarize your practice in, like, a sentence or two.
0: And not only that, but, like, package it in a way Mm -hmm. that a 10-year-old is going to get behind. Exactly. And not lose interest. Exactly. Um, So it's a whole different, like set of sentences exactly yeah.
1: and a whole set of new vocabulary you can't you can't do art speak yeah, at yeah, this yeah, point. Yeah. you know you yeah. really have to be sort of as simple as possible yeah. and you know so yeah and so once the presentation is done they'll you know kind of bring in or we provide all the materials um do sort of a, a version of that type of artwork with similar or this very, you know, similar or as similar as possible work uh, materials. Yeah. That's Because, um, you know, some people work with concrete. We can't work with concrete. Yeah. So we'll bring in like different types of materials, like wire instead. Right.
0: Or plaster. I can, use, I can plaster. see like plaster sort exactly. of mimicking how exactly. concrete hardens up. Exactly. Yeah. I think that's great, you know, especially in this town. And like, I think introducing young people to contemporary art is a great thing because we all know, the contemporary art can be scary or intimidating to a majority of people out there. And to I think to like show young people that it's yeah. It's kinda like this this interesting space where you can be totally open and free. Yeah. And sort of make your own rules within reason. Well, especially
1: in New York, because there is a plethora of just so many resources here. Yeah. And uh just having access to that yeah I mean, most people do want to share that with the community, but don't know don't really know how, so a lot of the artists we work with want to be part of the yeah. community and want to give back in yeah. some way um but also, yeah, like you said, the art world is sometimes very uninviting, yeah, a uh, white cube very uninviting, you know it can be very daunting to walk into. Not knowing that you you can just walk in for free. Yeah. So what we also do is gallery and museum walkthroughs with the curators and artists present. So just by introducing them, this gallery is in your neighborhood. You right. can walk right in whenever you want right. if you feel like it. And
0: it doesn't. There's no admission fee. There's no admission fee. Yeah.
1: Um So just even connecting those dots, I think, you know, yeah, can really it can really change something. I feel, you know, I didn't really know what i know now even before moving to new york i a lot of the artists i found out after moving here i didn't even know like 90 percent of the galleries i found out about after moving here and this is only seven years ago yeah yeah yeah. you know so if i had had that knowledge as while growing up it might not have changed much but i think it would have done something
0: yeah i agree i mean it just thinking about like my art education when i was young and it was regional right so i grew up Mm -hmm. in new hampshire in a rural area so the art was like landscape and carving and we're in a city Mm -hmm. it makes sense that there's this um pathway into contemporary art sort of like based on proximity in in a lot Mm -hmm. of ways but i I wish i mean that's a long-winded way of me saying i wish i had a taste of contemporary art when i was eight years old you know like what a like just to crack in my head open in that way. Yeah. Um yeah. yeah. What do you think? Do you think um does your practice intersect with your work as an art educator you sort of talked about you know your your own experience around contemporary art but do you learn things while doing your work at w- Wide Rainbow that you take back in here?
1: Uh yeah, sometimes. I mean, I can't really think of something uh, yeah, I don't mean to force it or anything like that. Yeah, but, but um, it does. It's very inspiring for me. Yeah, I learn as much as the girls do. Yeah, you know, um, and sometimes I'm just oh, what a great idea! Like oh wow, this this work is just incredible, and it reintroduces for me what their work is about. And because you know you get to share it in such an intimate environment, mm-hmm. so to get to meet the artists in that type of environment is is very special. I really I really cherish that. Yeah. Um, because there's no pretentious, there's no pretentious anything. It's just, it's such a, uh, such a loving and kind of open environment that you get to, to meet each other. in. so I, I absolutely cherish that.
0: Yeah. I mean, you're talking about hierarchies earlier in the conversation, but I I love that these spaces, Mm -hmm. classroom settings, especially with young people. Yeah. Um, it's a good way to sort of chip away at hierarchy and bring everyone down, including the, like the celebrated artist. Exactly. These kids have no idea who they are. Exactly.
1: And, Bring and, them down. And they don't I mean, care, That actually. sounds shitty, but like, <laughs> you know,
0: we're all, you know what I mean? We're all on this, on the similar plane where yeah. we're just talking to each other.
1: Yeah, it breaks down a lot of walls. Yeah. And I, I see that immediately in these workshops. And it it's such a, it's such a humanizing sort of mm-hmm. experience. Yeah, uh,
0: You know, we, we sort of tiptoed in a little bit earlier um, about parenthood. You're um, a mother now almost for a year. Yeah. How has parenthood changed you as an artist Uh, or affected your practice? I think. Or has it not?
1: It, it hasn't, it hasn't, because I think, um, priorities change, obviously, as you know, as being a father yourself, Mm -hmm. um, priorities change where now I, you know, art is very secondary. You know, my art practice is very secondary and when I have time for it, I'll do it. As much as I can, mm-hmm. but it's not. It's not. T- it's not the focus right it's now. It's not the focus right mm-hmm. now, and that's um, okay. A lot of people are okay. like scared of that. Yeah, and that's okay. But
0: it's nice here. You say say that out loud. Yeah, that.
1: And and that's okay. And it I and I was very conscious of it being pregnant, and I was very worried about that. You know, because you hear about so many different stories and different testimonials of like, oh, you know, and then I, I couldn't get back into my art for like 20 years. Yeah. And, you know, stuff. <laughs> so, so I actually did a lot of reading yeah. during that time by different uh, artists and writers who, you know, uh, were concerned about that. And um, so I was very conscious of that. And remember any
0: of the books that you read?
1: Of um, Woman Born is one by Adrian Rick rich rick um and uh the mother reader the mother reader yeah i think that's in our house yeah incredible it's a red cover it's a red yeah, cover yeah, yeah, yeah. uh by moira, moira davis it's a collection of of writings yeah, it's, all, it's, it's a bunch of different essays yeah, yeah. exactly um but yeah and you know a lot of different things mm. and so It was uh, a concern of mine, but it was also, when it was happening, you know, I think I was ready for that feeling of like, oh, I can't do this anymore, or I can't do this for now. I have to like.
0: Or you can't do it the way that you had been doing it. Exactly,
1: I have to change it. And so I think that prepared me for that and didn't like come as a shock to me. Mm -hmm. Um, But with that said, having had to prepare for this show, that yeah. just opened um, it was in it was funny because b- the first solo show I had two years ago I was in the studio like every single day from I don't know like all day mm-hmm. for like months and really focusing months really months, focusing on, really it. Focusing on yeah. it and nothing else was important you yeah. know uh, but for this show you know the work is very different so the time spent on it is also different but I was in the studio maybe all together, two weeks. Yeah, to just bang it out.
0: So you made a show in two weeks.
1: I mean, all the different.
0: The ideas have probably been stewing for years. Uh, yeah, been yeah, Exactly. Yeah.
1: Exactly. And so I kind of chuckled to myself because I was like, "Wow, I guess this is how it is now." I try. I. I, I, I this is what I get. Well, how
0: does it feel <laughs> if you can compare the way of putting, and you know, to clarify, this is your show access to tools. Yes. That opened up a, cu- a week or two ago at Jack Hanley's Gallery mm-hmm. in uh, downtown in Manhattan. Yes. Um, if you can compare how you prepared and made this show versus yeah. the one that you like were super focused in, like yeah. I know you're a different person then. But I imagine it's a good exercise to sort of reflect on on like that headspace versus this headspace and the outcome of the thing that you made.
1: Absolutely. And it was funny because like decisions and stuff was like, you know, I was way more anal about decision making before. Mm -hmm. And now I'm just like, yep, this is not working. Have to move on. Don't have time for this. (laughs) So it makes you more pragmatic in the sense that, you know, what doesn't work, I just have to move on. Yeah there's no pondering there's no because that actually becomes time wasting which means time away from my child all of this yeah. all of this stuff so yeah. now you know i i was surprised at how relaxed i was about the works yeah and after i set it up i was like yep i guess it's done and i could just walk away yeah whereas before i was like tweaking things t- until the very last second before the opening right. and you know <laughs> right so that attitude i noticed and i th- thought was kind of amusing yeah it
0: sounds about right I mean on one hand you know the idea of, of having a kid in your life when you're trying to make a show can can for some people and uh, there's been times where it's like the pressure's up it's increased because the stakes are higher and like you're saying there's not enough time yeah but most times I want to say like 80 85 percent of the time <laughs> in my life yeah it's the opposite it's just what you said right it's yeah. like you know what? I'm not going to hee-haw and go back and forth on this small choice. I'm just going to make it and move forward. So, yeah, I like that having small people in our lives <laughs> and having to like shift focus. Oh, absolutely! And, and and realize and honor that there's something bigger than what's going on in our studio oh, space. Absolutely, sort of forces our hand in a really interesting way. Yeah, um, it so really it's nice to hear you talk about that as yeah, well. Yeah,
1: it, it's 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 been really. I, I I've talked about it with several people, and mm-hmm. also you know. Before a child, I have to say, I've just never really been good at time management. Mm-hmm. Um, I can waste hours and hours just not doing anything. And, so, you know, having a baby really changes that. Yeah. And I've actually been more productive as a mother, kind of forced, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> There's no other choice. Yeah. But I, yeah, I am much more productive now than I've ever been in my yeah. life.
0: Yeah, it makes us more aware of our time. Yeah, in a lot of ways. Yeah, yeah, it's well said. Um, well, let's talk about your show. Okay. Um, so the work is is I mean you know you've got some reference materials here. Yeah. I want to say for me when I was in there, the first thing that I took in were the floor sculptures. Yes. The um, the bondage luggage you're mm-hmm. calling them, mm-hmm. and then you have the nice um, sort of glyph. Forms on the wall that are like pieces of gate and stuff that you've sort of uh, assembled in collage together um, On the wall and that sort of reads like an alphabet or, or mm-hmm. something like that, but the the bondage luggage um, Talk about those Those are something that you've seen in your travels.
1: Yes. Mm-hmm. So the bondage the bondage packages are uh, You know originally um, Luggage that I actually found or that I saw at the Kathmandu airport. Mm-hmm. So every time I would revisit Nepal to see my parents, um, they're still there. They're still there. Cool. Every every day at the airport, there's a different, and I, you know, every time I go back, I document and take photographs as I'm exiting the plane, or so the airport. Um, so a lot of a lot of Nepal, a lot of Nepalese are immigrant workers, and when they come back to visit Nepal. They bring valuable goods. And so a lot of the luggage that you see wrapped up, um, you know, probably have like some valuables in them, like electronics or clothing or gifts or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. Um, But the really interesting thing I started noticing was that, you know, everyone's luggage was, you know, sort of wrapped up in a very similar manner, Um, as if there was like a manual to it. but it rectangle
0: i mean the ones that you that are um in the reference photos just to describe real quick yeah they're rectangles yeah um some of them maybe about the size of a microwave or something like that
1: they're they're pretty big big. yeah some of them are like i don't know like size of that tub Mm -hmm. or like that box okay um and some of them are square some of them actually have the suitcases in them some of them are just cardboard boxes some of them are are just round and look like mozzarella you know and some of them like
0: a like a a plastic bag full of clothing or something yeah or sometimes
1: they're wrapped up in fabrics Mm -hmm. it's really like diverse like the the type of materials that they use and so and then the outer layer is this rope, or sometimes it's tape, sometimes it's some type of string. Yeah. But it's, it's sort of like holding the shape together. It in holds a way. the shape together, in a bondage manner. Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> and it's a grid too. Often. Yeah. A lot of the times, it's like it's a web grid. grid. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And sometimes you can see the different array of, of uh, you know skills. Yeah. So some people's grids are really tight and yeah. you know like squared. Some are really sloppily made. Some have like extra tape, some have, you know, so there's like a very amusing thing I started discovering as I w- was starting to notice these baggages, um, just these different types of personalities yeah. and different types of characters, yeah. you know, so um, that's what really initially drew me in. Uh, th- and I started having these questions about them, like where they come from, what are inside, what's so valuable, uh, where are they going to, like who owns this piece of luggage um and that's what really sparked my interest because i started asking all these questions about yeah. it um and also visually they were so they just drew me in they yeah. just drew me right in. yeah they're in.
0: beautiful um your 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 sculptures Thank but you. i mean these are just photographs yeah. but yeah i can f- sort of feel them in yeah. there you know
1: and also they're coming down this you know uh the conveyor belt and there's movement to it there's something yeah. very like yeah uh, almost like uh i don't know like a cartoon like quality to it like they just like have this movement and color and Uh pattern and and so you know I started sort of first of all just photographing and for the longest time I actually for first photographed this like five years ago so I've been sitting on this idea for about five years oh wow didn't really know what to do um and so I made a couple of prototypes like three years after I first started documenting them and realized that I wanted to just recreate these in very similar types of materials. So every time I go back to Nepal, I bring back the materials that they would use.
0: Which is like those weaved plastic bags that we sometimes get at dollar stores or something here. Yeah. So um, different
1: tarps, yeah. different uh, rope, different like rice sacks or, you Did know, you do use a, I
0: feel like I read in the materials list, a duvet cover? Yeah. So the yeah. Du- there's duvet covers. Different?
1: Yeah. There's oh, also okay. duvet fillings. I mm-hmm. had to figure out uh, what goes inside these sculptures and I wanted them to have a little bit of weight. Yeah. Um, and mass so after experimenting different types of materials duvets are great yeah <laughs> Duvet's uh, clothing uh, for, s- for weight I'll put some chain in them too.
0: Oh these are what's inside of your yeah. sculptures oh, okay um, the mystery's revealed. I was yeah. going to ask what's inside of them. <laughs> yeah. And
1: that's, that's, yeah, I'm, I'm happy chain to share like that? that too. Yeah. Chain like okay. that. Um, and I have a lot of scrap Just metal. Like metal chain link. Yeah. Yeah. I have a lot of scrap metal in the studio usually. So I'll add that to the sculpture to add a little bit of weight. Mm-hmm. Um, but really also again, like, m- you know, materials that are accessible to me. Yeah.
0: Another thing that I liked about the, the bondage luggage, um, you know I have a deep interest in drawing. Mm-hmm. And whenever you wrap uh, a three dimensional object with a grid, you you start to see vanishing points., yes. so like they felt like little drawing exercises, oh, which cool. I really liked. Oh, um, nice. and I could imagine mm-hmm. sitting down in there and drawing these things. Oh, so that cool. was a nice little oh, moment nice. for me. Um what about the the? the The more sort of jewelry-like forms that are on the wall that are pieces of gates. What, yeah. um Talk about those a little bit.
1: Uh, so I call them steel glyphs. Steel glyphs. Uh, yeah, um, they're all steel. Uh, those sort of uh, happen pretty organically too. Uh, I happened. I had to go into one of the metal shops very close by. My studio is in Guanas. There are a lot of metal shops and sort of you know industrial spaces around here. And I, I just noticed, noticed like a whole mound of scrap metal in one of the corner of this, of the, of this metal shop and started just like collecting them. And then, uh, was like, you know, I kind of had the idea of maybe putting them together to create new forms or of like new glyph-like, uh, shapes. Yeah. They
0: tie right into your interest in language. Yeah.
1: And so I started doing that and uh, I was surprised at how well it worked and how it sort of tied in with the rest of my work. Um, the process is really interesting because I did them, I started them at the same time I did these paintings. And like I said, the paintings are p- painstaking. It's like, or time staking. It just yeah. takes a long time. Yeah.
0: The labor behind them.
1: Yeah. And, um, uh, and you know, I, I made them at the same time, but I had way more fun doing the steel glyphs because You know, the guys at the metal shop, they're making like real structures. So when I go in and I'm just like, oh, I want to just weld this and this together. They're like, what are you doing? (laughs) You know, they kind of make fun of me or whatever. Another artist here. uh, Like, yeah, great, you (laughs) know. But, uh, you know, I really love those guys now. We have a great relationship. But I'd bring all the scrap and I'll lay it out on the table. I'll arrange them in a very certain way. They'll give me 20 minutes. Or maybe even ten minutes.
0: So they're they're sort of setting the time clock.
1: Or they just they just don't have that much time. Right, so right, I have right. to look really like you know be hurry ready. up, be yeah. ready. And so with the scrap metal, I never have any type of drawings. I never know what's gonna come of them. I'll they have a large sort of like this metal table where I'll kind of arrange everything in like a matter of seconds, and they'll just come and weld it. Just go zap 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 I like, and it's this. St-
0: <laughs> I like this i mean i like these sort of preset boundaries otherwise yeah. i can imagine myself uh, maybe you feel similar yeah. but spending ungodly oh, amounts of times looking for the perfect you uh, it for iteration ever. of all these different little metal pieces so exactly to have a boundary to push up against yeah. is actually really useful yeah. I, n- I need those boundaries yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: i need those time limits so that's, it's always fun because yeah. that's like, you have to really trust your gut instincts in mm-hmm. that in, in those minutes. And once it's welded, it's welded. Yeah. And it's a finished piece and you, and I bring it back to the studio and I look at it and, and then what I do afterwards, I'm not sure if you picked up a, a chart from the, stu- from the gallery. I have them there in the front. Printed deck. at the desk. Yeah. Or printed yeah. at the desk. So what I usually do is sort of make these glyph charts. Mm-hmm. Once I have everything in front of me, and I'll put sort of meaning back into it.
0: Oh, so you're you're creating a, like a key, yeah, like a, a legend key. for them. Exactly. Yeah. Great. Yeah. I don't know why I missed that. I have to, it's okay. I have to go back. <laughs> um, but you know, I'm thinking about them on the wall now. I mean, yeah. sort of having to dig through the memory bank here. But yeah. you know, I can see a connection to linguistics and language and the glyph form. Mm-hmm the graphic quality of the those the form of those shapes on a white wall and how they might connect to your paintings mm-hmm. or even all the stuff in the clip art book. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's a lot of layers in there that sort of like nicely l- pile up on each other. Oh, nice. They also had like an edge to them too. Like some of them feel like weapons or something oh, yeah, like that. Oh, yeah, absolutely.
1: And uh, I always joke because, you know, these things look really beautiful and elegant from afar but they are yeah really dangerous yeah. actual weapons if you if, if heavy it, sharp yeah metal. heavy sharp metal there's no patina you know it's just dangerous mm-hmm. objects but i i did i left it un like without a patina on purpose because that's just how i found them yeah
0: yeah so there's some rust coming yeah through, there's like rust this. coming yeah. through um yeah, I mean, I think there's also a video in the yes. show, yet. Yeah? yeah. Can you quickly talk about the video?
1: The video is actually the part that I'm most excited about yeah. the show. Yeah, yeah. Uh, personally, really uh, speaks I'm glad I remembered to bring it up. Yeah. <laughs> um, so the video is uh, an old survey video shot by my father from the late 80s. Um, so if you remember, there's a narration that's happening throughout the video. That's my father's voice. Okay. Um, and. You know, it's his, it's survey videos of here is a village. We're walking through this type of landscape and talking about like cultures and different things just to report back to Korea. Right. I
0: was going to ask what a survey video is. That's just like describing the picture, narrating the picture. Narrating the picture. Okay.
1: And um, my father had to make a lot of these survey videos because of the work that he did. Being a missionary, we basically, the work was sponsored by churches and individuals who believed in his work so a lot of this footage had to go back to these individuals to show them what he'd been up to Mm -hmm. so he has a lot of hours of just like mundane this is this is this and this is that but really like beautiful old like footage so i have access to them yeah (laughs) and so what i did with that was i used the original footage and added my own text as like A pseudo subtitle right so the subtitle if you don't know Korean it almost looks like it's translating what he's saying right but in actuality it has nothing to do with what is what he's saying it's it's text of my own Um, that was a lot of it was written from the same region while trekking like but 25 years later Wow Um, and a lot of it if you if you keep watching towards the end it kind of jumps to me being pregnant Uh, postpartum and stuff like that that I added in sort of you know towards the end right so it's Um, like a timeline it's like a timeline and it jumps back and forth a little bit about between thoughts and ideas and just I've kept a journal for most of my life and so going through that and picking out text for this was really really fun
0: that's great you know yeah I mean the show felt very personal yeah and autobiographical in a way. Mm-hmm. I mean your biography is in there, I mean. Yeah. Um I mean I, I think it was like a a nice cohesion of these things Thank um, you. and different ways of working. It was really landing for me, so Thank you. um well done. Uh we, another thing um I often bring up in these recordings is this idea of when artists are satisfied. Um you know, there's there's a lot of us out there that are are chasing something we don't even know what it is um yeah. you know it's it's the idea of like i I've, I've made this sculpture i'm happy with it i i i'm I, i'm behind it enough i support it enough that i'm going to put it out in the world in some capacity but i think i can make another one better yeah. so like i'm not quite satisfied like <laughs> right. sometimes that's the driving force i'll come back cuz i think i can make something even stronger yeah. or more compelling or more yeah. provocative whatever yeah. then there's other artists that are just like yeah it's fine you know i'm okay um, <laughs> you know, there's other things. It's a big world. Like, I'm all right. Yeah. I mean, d- that was my attitude for yeah? sure. Like, yeah. what, when are you satisfied with your work or what, what satisfies you in this life that we're, we're living? Um,
1: I think I tend to, like, I, I tend to sit on ideas for a long time. Yeah. And I think when I make the work is when I'm satisfied with the idea. So when I'm satisfied with the idea, the outcome, the physical outcome of that idea is not so important to me, ah, cool. not as important right. to me, you know, but, uh, you know, but I believe the idea behind it. Yeah. So that I think that's when I know I want to make work on it. So the bondage baggage is being, you know, sort of ruminating around for like five years. I finally got to a point where I was like, I want to make these
0: works. You're I, ready. I was yeah.
1: ready. But you know, sometimes it takes up to like a long time for yeah. that to happen. But once I'm okay with that, I'm fine with whatever it looks like.
0: Yeah, <laughs> that's nice. That's refreshing. It's a yeah, yeah. The idea is arguably the the important thing. Yeah, the form it takes will always change. Will always change. Can always be adjusted. Right. Absolutely. But the idea is there. Yeah. I feel like we're like we're nearing the end. Yeah. Um. Before we wrap things up or bookend it, mm-hmm. um. I like to ask people if there's a, a, a dream project, something that's not even on the books um, mm-hmm. or a goal or something that you th- like you yeah. hope to get done while, yeah. while we have time.
1: Yeah. Well, it's funny you ask because just the other day I was speaking to a friend about this like hypothetical project that I'd love to start. And it's it stems from the video that I made for the show. Um, of your dad's surveying yeah, footage. Yeah, yeah. Um, I would love to potentially, you know, this would be I mean, this is such a,
0: you know, let's hear it.
1: <laughs> I love to work on a uh, a series like a TV series.
0: Oh, cool! Storytelling. Yeah,
1: storytelling. I think that's like I I had so much fun making this video. Yeah. Um, and I have just so many ridiculous stories. That sort of like started coming out while I was r- kind of looking through my journals and, you know, trying to figure out what was what what, what I wanted to say in this video. I was like, oh, I guess th- I can make so many videos. <laughs> yeah. And um, and I love TV series. I love uh, I love series and just that form of narration yeah. to storytelling. So that's something I'd love to get into someday. That's great. Yeah.
0: Well, um, it's been a real treat to meet you. You too. and uh spend time in your studio and talk about the work and um you know i'm really excited about wide rainbow and so uh much. the work you're making and parenting mm-hmm. thank That's you
1: fair. thank you so much thank that was you. so fun
0: we've made it to the end A quick reminder that Deep Color is independently produced and a free resource for listeners. Help support and sustain this project by making a donation online at deepcolorpodcast.com. You can also learn more about each contributing artist, find links to their online portfolios, and access the archive of past recordings. Be sure to share this project within your community and subscribe and rate in the Apple Podcast Directory or through Stitcher. Your continued support and belief in deep color is profoundly important, and I thank you for your generosity.